Did you know you can do the right thing, but your heart not be right with God? God cares not only about what we do, but He cares also about why we do it. In the following lesson, Don Blackwell examines why our motives matter to God. Join us as we consider the question, is your heart right with God? What if I told you that you can do the right thing, but do it for the wrong reason, and it be wicked in the sight of God? Would you be surprised to learn that? Today, we're going to talk about the heart. Is your heart right with God? I hope you'll join us for this study. In 1 Kings chapter 21, Queen Jezebel has proclaimed a fast to honor her next-door neighbor who is named Naboth. In verse 9 of that chapter, she told her servants, Seat Naboth with high honor among the people. In other words, she said, put him in a place of honor. Now, when you hear that, it sounds like a good thing until you hear the motive behind it. And that is, she's trying to steal his land. So when they gather for this event, she has hired two scoundrels who lie, and they say that Naboth has blasphemed God. And then she commands that they stone him to death so that she can take his property. Now, proclaiming a fast to compliment Naboth must have looked like a worthy and honorable thing. That is, until you hear about her heart until you learn about the motive behind it. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, David's son Absalom would get up early in the morning, and he would stand at the gates to the city. And as people would enter the city, he would meet them, and he'd listen to their concerns, and he would hug the person and kiss them and wish them the best. Now, if that's all you knew, it would sound like a good thing. In John chapter 12, Jesus is in Bethany. And he's with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary took a pound of expensive ointment, perfume, made from costly spikenard. And she anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the Bible says the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas Iscariot speaks up and he says, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, when you hear Judas say that, you might think to yourself, Judas is concerned about the poor. Judas is a caring person. But you see, when you learn about his heart, it completely changes the situation. Verse 6 says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the army of Israel is engaged in battle. But King David stayed home. In verse 6, he sends to his captain Joab, and he says, Send Uriah home to me, the soldier named Uriah. He says so that he can report on the battle. It seems like a fine thing for a king to do, to get a report on the battle. After meeting with Uriah, he sends Uriah home to be with his wife. Now again, that seems understandable. He's been away. But you know the story. Under different circumstances, these would be appropriate and normal and even good things to do. But you see, David's heart is not right. His motive is not to acquire information on the battle. His motive is not to provide Uriah a rest from the war. His heart is dark and his motive is evil. Now finally, he sends Uriah into the heat of the battle, which might be a good military move under different circumstances, but this time, it was murder. 
You see, his motive, his heart made all of the difference. Friends, when you consider all of these events on their surface, they seem like good things, innocent things, even honorable things. But when you learn the rest of the story, they stink, they're dark, and the reason relates to the heart. Now, with that in mind, we're going to study several points today that relate to the heart. Here's point number one, and it is this. Our motives matter to God. This one is so very important. Our motives matter to God. Now, the dictionary defines the word motive as a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. And the point that we're making is this. God cares about not only what we do, He cares about why we do it. Now consider with me Acts chapter 5. Here is Ananias and his wife who is named Sapphira. They are members of the church in Jerusalem, and they own some land, and they sold their land, and they took part of the money and they gave it to the church. Now that seems like a very good thing to do. But you know what happened. God ends up striking them dead. Why? Giving money to the church is a good thing. It's a right thing. But you see, they lied about it. And the apparent reason that they lied about it is they wanted it to look like they had given all of the proceeds from the land. Well, why would they do that? Here's the reason. They wanted people to look at them and say, wow, Ananias and Sapphira, they sure are generous. They are really holy people. I wish I were like them. Friends, what was their problem? The problem is the topic we're talking about, and that is their hearts were not right with God. You see, they were doing this for the wrong reason. And you see, God cares not only about what we do, He also cares about why we do it. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 2-4, through four, the Bible says, "...fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done..." Listen to what he says. "...through self-ambition or conceit." But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, there's an interesting term in this passage. It's the term self-ambition. It means positioning yourself for advancement. Now, self-ambition describes the person who does something that might seem right, but with the wrong motive. You see, the Bible condemns this. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, listen what he says, that they may be seen of men. Now, praying is a good thing, but when you do it with the wrong motive, when you do it to be seen of men, it becomes evil. Jesus said, don't do this. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3, the Pharisees approached Jesus and they asked Him a question about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with asking a question about that topic. It can sometimes be a difficult and sometimes confusing topic. And who better to ask than Jesus? And so, what's the problem? It's a legitimate question. They certainly have come to the right source. But listen what verse 3 says. The Pharisees also came to Him, testing Him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The problem was their motive. They weren't asking the question in a sincere way, from a sincere heart. They were asking the question in an effort 
to trap Jesus. And that motive turned an otherwise right thing into a wrong thing. Now, here's our point. Motives matter to God. And friends, we get that because motives matter to us too, don't they? Let me see if I can illustrate this. You know, if a man were to buy flowers on his way home from work and he brings his wife flowers, she would think that's a good thing. She would love the way they smell. She would put them in a vase and he'd probably win big points for it. But what if she later learns that the reason that he bought these flowers was because he was trying to divert her attention from the fact that he was having an affair? Well, that changes everything. Then the flowers stink. She'd throw them away. She would hate them. Let me give you another illustration. What if a man lived next door to an elderly widow? And he would go next door and he would cut her grass and he would do repairs for her and he would go and buy groceries. You know, people would say, what a fine man, what a kind individual, what an excellent neighbor. But what if we learned that his motive was that he wanted to be named in her will? What if we found out he was doing all of this in an effort just to get her money? Well, our feelings toward that man would completely change, would they not? You know, flattery is kind of like that. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. What does that verse mean? If a man is saying nice things, flattery is deceitful, and the end game is not good. Now, that was our first point, and that is that motives matter to God. Here's our second point, and that is the fact that God cares about our hearts. Friends, this is so very important. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus said, "...unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven." Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, the next verse goes on to say, "...you have heard it said..." This is Jesus speaking. He says, "...you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder." And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see, the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees was that as long as you didn't carry out the physical act of murder, you're good to go. Jesus said that's not right. Your heart also has to be right. If you don't physically kill, but you kill in your heart, you hate in your heart, he says, you're in sin. In verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see the point? Not committing adultery is not enough. You can't do it in your heart either. Now, read it again. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the point? Friends, you can get all of the outward actions right, but if your heart is not right, you will be lost eternally. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Point number one, our motives matter to God. Point number two, God cares about our hearts. Here's point number three. You can lose your soul because of what goes on in your heart. 
Friends, I want you to listen very closely to Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. I remember a brother in Christ years ago. He was referencing looking at a woman in a lustful way, and he said to me, he said, Don, it's all right to look as long as you don't touch. Friends, that's, that's not what my Lord said. Did you realize that a thought in your heart can cause you to go to hell eternally? Now, you may not act upon it. It may be that not another living person may ever know about it. But the thoughts of your heart can cost you eternally. Is that why Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 and verse 8. You know, only one time in the history of this world has God said, I have had enough. These people are so wicked that I'm going to destroy the whole world. Of course, that was in Genesis chapter 6, and He destroyed this earth by the means of the flood. But I want you to notice what the Bible says in Genesis 6 and verse 5. The text says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now listen to this part and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, it's interesting to me because he could have just said that they were constantly doing wickedness. It's not what he said. He said they were constantly thinking about wickedness. They constantly had wickedness in their hearts. That's our point. God cares about our hearts. All right, here's the fourth point. God also cares about our actions. Now, we just made the point that our motives have to be pure, our hearts have to be right if we're going to be pleasing to God. But friends, I think it's essential that we pause here for just a moment and make the opposite point. Not only do your motives have to be right, your actions also have to be right. Now, why am I making that point? The reason is, The world today is filled with people that believe as long as your heart is right, then nothing else matters. As long as you are sincere, as long as you have the right intentions, they say, then God is going to be pleased. Would you appreciate with me that the Bible does not teach that? This idea that as long as your heart is right, you will be okay? Listen to what the Bible says about that. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Proverbs 28 and verse 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. The idea that as long as your heart is right, then you'll be good, it's not biblical. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And then there are others who will say this. They will say, well, what matters is love. They will say, we need to stop putting so much emphasis on obedience. They will say, in fact, to emphasize obedience, they call that legalism. They will say that God is concerned with our love and with our hearts, not with all the nitpicky details. In fact, some people will say this. They will say, the Old Testament was about law-keeping. The New Testament is about love. Friends, all of that is completely false. 
You know, people who have this mindset, the Old Testament was about law keeping, the New Testament is about love. Sometimes to support their uh, assertion, they will cite Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And they will say, see, they were hung up on all of the little details and they were missing the heart issues. And when we emphasize law-keeping today, they say we become modern-day Pharisees. But friends, it's very important that you notice the very next phrase out of Jesus' mouth, and it's this. He said to them, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus said they should keep the specifics of the law. He wasn't discounting that. He said just be sure not to neglect the other things. You see, pleasing God involves our heart being right, but it also involves our actions being right. And then there's this idea that some people have that the Old Testament was law-keeping, the New Testament is about love and grace. What about that part of it? Friends, that's not right. Matthew 22, 37 says that the greatest commandment of the Old Testament law was to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second greatest commandment of the Old Testament law was to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Old Testament was a law of love. The Old Testament is filled with grace. In fact, the first time that the word grace appears in the Bible is in the Old Testament, just six chapters in. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17 says, But you are God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. In fact, you remember that after God spared the people of Nineveh, that Jonah, he became angry about this. And he said to God, For I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. Proverbs 3.34 says, He gives grace unto the humble. Exodus 34.6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. 2 Kings 13 and verse 23, But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and regarded them. 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 9, Your God is gracious and merciful, and He will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. Friends, I could go on and on and on making the point the Old Testament is filled with God's grace. Now, in a similar manner, the New Testament is filled with law. In James chapter 1 and verse 25, the Christian system is called the perfect law of liberty. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. 1 John 5 and verse 3. 
For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, And having been perfected, He, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, Paul wrote, The things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Now someone might say, okay, then what does John chapter 1 and verse 17 mean when it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friends, first, in light of the many passages that we just cited, it does not mean that there is no grace in the Old Testament. We have clearly shown that it's not correct. It also does not mean that there is no law in the New Testament. We have clearly shown that is inaccurate. It means that the Old Testament alone was devoid of any way of saving man. It was merely a system of law which everyone fell short of. But you see, Jesus was the enactment of God's grace. And I want you to get this. This is very, very important. Friends, every person who was saved under the Old Testament system was ultimately saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Every person who was saved under the New Testament system is saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. What does that mean? Those offerings according to the law of the Old Testament, in and of themselves, they could not have saved a man. You see, as a person complied with the law and the Old Testament, ultimately he would be lost. Ultimately, what would cleanse them was the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a person complies with the terms of obedience, likewise in the New Testament, he is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, Hebrews 5 and verse 9, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all, Old Testament and New Testament, who obey him. And so what's our point? Friends, this is our point. To say that motives are all that matters, that is wrong. To say that the heart is all that matters, that is wrong. To say that love or grace is all that matters, that is wrong. And to say that actions or obedience is all that matters, that is wrong. You see, God cares not only about what we do, but He also cares about why we do it. All right. How about some modern-day examples? Let's apply these principles that we are learning. Let's go through some modern-day things in, in which people will do right things, but maybe have the wrong motive. I want you to think with me first about acts of worship. You know, there are five acts of worship that are prescribed for the New Testament church today, and every one of these acts of worship could be done with the wrong motive and thus become vain and worthless. For instance, think with me about prayer. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, prayer is a good thing. Prayer is a right thing to do. But if you do it, Jesus said to be seen of men, it becomes wrong. It's right, but the wrong motive makes it wrong. Luke chapter 18, the Bible says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And, and then his prayer turns into a bragging session. And something that should be right became wrong because of his motive. I want you to think with me about a second act of worship. Think about giving. Think about the contribution where we return that which we have earned to God. 
Again, we think about Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they corrupted giving. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Listen what he says. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. It's a right act, but a wrong motive turns it into sin. Think about preaching. Could a person even preach with the wrong motive and, and thus it become sinful for them? Listen to this, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. It's certainly right to preach Christ, but he said some people were doing it from the wrong motive. I recall hearing a man preach years ago, and he began his sermon with a, a long quotation of a passage of Scripture. I think he quoted an entire chapter, maybe two chapters. Afterwards, I listened to people discuss his sermon, and what I heard people say over and over and over again was, they said, man, that guy's impressive. That guy never looked at his notes. That man quoted the entire chapter. That man never missed a word. I don't recall hearing anything said about the message that he preached. Now, I don't know the brother's motives. In fact, because I know the man, uh, I suspect that his motives were nothing but pure. But I want to ask you this question. Could a man get caught up with the wrong motive with regard to his preaching when people begin to praise him? Could he preach for praise instead of the right reason? Certainly he could. What about Bible study? Do you think a person could even study the Bible with the wrong motive? Certainly. Maybe a person studies the Bible because he wants to show off his knowledge. That would be a wrong motive. His heart would be wrong. Maybe a person studies the Bible so that he can put someone in their place that would be a wrong motive. How about this? Do you think a person could make a prayer request with the wrong motive? Now you might say, how could a person possibly request prayers with the wrong motive? What if a person wanted to highlight to everyone, say, how many Bible studies he's conducting and thus make himself look holy, kind of like Ananias and Sapphira. So maybe a person posts on social media and he says, please pray for me. I'm conducting a Bible study every night this week. Now, there's nothing wrong with that request. There's nothing wrong with this statement. But there could be something wrong with this motive. Only that person and God knows the answer to that. Do you think that a person could seek advice and do it with the wrong motive? What if a person, for instance, wanted to share gossip, but he did it under the guise of seeking advice? It would be wrong. Could a person even read the Bible with the wrong motive? You know, a person might read the Bible in a genuine pursuit of the truth, or he could actually read the Bible because he's seeking to validate or justify what he already believes. Two different approaches. One is wrong because of the motive. How about this? Could a person even be baptized with the wrong motive? I want you to think, perhaps a person is baptized because they want to impress someone. That would be a wrong reason. It would be a wrong motive. His heart would be wrong. Perhaps a person is baptized because everybody else is doing it. That would be the wrong reason. Some people, no doubt, have been baptized so that he will marry me or she will marry me, and it becomes a wrong motive. What about fasting? In Matthew 6 and verse 16, Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
Now, I want you to consider this one. This one's going to sound strange. But could a person even show kindness but do it with the wrong heart? For instance, could a person show kindness to other people but he's doing it so that he can get the praise of men? Could a person show kindness just because he's trying to get something from someone else? And his kindness, though it's a right deed, becomes something that is wrong because of a wrong heart. I want to share with you a make-believe story that I ran across some time back. The story is about an elderly man on a beach, and he finds a magic lamp. And the man picks up the lamp and he rubs it, and the story says that a, a genie appeared. And the genie says, because you have freed me, I'm going to grant you a wish. The story says the man thought for a moment, and then he responded, My brother and I had a fight 30 years ago, and he hasn't spoken to me since. Here's my wish. I wish that he'll finally forgive me. And there was a clap of thunder, and the genie declared, Your wish has been granted. The genie then thought for a minute, and he said to the man, He said, Most men would have asked for wealth or fame, but you only ask the love of your brother. He said, Is it because you're old and dying? The man said, no way. He said, it's because my brother is old and dying, and he's worth $60 million. Now, what's the point? We must do right things in our lives, but even when we do, if our hearts aren't right, God will not be pleased.